smile at somebody while I get myself sorted here and uh, it's a bit hot today so I understand but if you want to stand up and just stretch a leg you're welcome to do that great if you don't want to do that that's also fine as I see you don't want to do that that's all right that's all right I can live with that praise the Lord it's um it's indeed an honor for us to be able to see people being used by God. One of the things that we dearly believe, and it's kind of like a strange thing over there, that there's a chair parked, has no purpose there. Um, it's just weird. I don't know if anybody's going to sit there, but maybe if somebody could just, Victor, if you want to sit there, buddy, it just looks like it's completely out of sync. Thanks, Vic. <laughs> uh, one of the things that we, I'm just looking for something else out of order. No, it's fine. Oh, Shane, sorry. I got <laughs> One of the things that we love about church is this. The church is firstly not just a gathering on a Sunday. The church is firstly a people. That'll be a great moment for you to say amen. By the way, we do say this. You would, it's great to get feedback. Not the woo kind of feedback through the speakers, but the feedback from you that says, Yeah, I like what you just said. That's great. Thanks, Devon. Um, We'd like to interact, hey? This is not like we're sitting in a movie house and I've got to perform and you just want to, like, oh, that was great or not. This is an interactive time. One of the things we love about church is that we are a people that are all part of something that should be alive. It's a living organism, this thing called the body of Christ. And in that body, we have parts that all contribute. Correct? So if your finger is for some reason not contributing. You've got to find out what is the reason that it's not contributing. There's no muscle power in it. You've got to go and try to see the doctor and say, what's wrong with my finger, doctor? I used to be able to poke my nose and it was the best thing that I could use to get into my nose. The other fingers are too thick. I've got to use my pinky and it's no longer in use. What is wrong? I can't use it anymore. And so the doctor then advises you on what the possible reason may be that you can't use this thing. And it turns out maybe it's because of your diet. You should stop drinking so much Fanta because too much sugar. I don't know. I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I have some medical knowledge. Um, no, I don't. But maybe there is a particular reason why your pinky doesn't want to work. I know it's a silly example, but really what it really boils down to, if something doesn't work, try to figure out why it doesn't work. Uh-huh. Thank you, thank you. There's some. The body of Christ is the same. We all have a role to play. So when we have people up here on the front, it is great to celebrate that. On top of that, we want to celebrate everybody else contributing. And maybe some will be called and just feel like, I'd love to lead a group and help people facilitate those moments. Others would contribute in different ways. But we are all supposed to contribute. Now, that's very quiet. Now, hey, you all love the story about the pinky. But when the pinky becomes you, you're like, nah. <laughs> huh? You're like, oh, back out. <laughs> now, all of us are supposed to be contributors. You have the Spirit of God within you. You have been called by God. He has saved you. If you're a born-again believer, He has saved you not just to get to heaven, but to make a difference here on earth. 
and you make a difference by being a carrier of this life of God within you and distributing that wherever you go, not just on a Sunday morning. So what we celebrate here in church by seeing people being released and being prayed for is a wonderful thing. But you know what? We should have all of you up here. And you may not all be released to lead on a Wednesday evening or on a Thursday night in a facilitation time where we meet together as, as believers. But you all have to lead in different ways in this world. I don't know why I'm on this thing now. It's not part of my sermon. But God wants to stir our hearts to understand that we cannot just sit there. You all have to get up here. You all have to be up here. And your stage is not here in the bridge club to necessarily preach. Praise God that there are some of us that have this incredible privilege. And it's a huge, huge honor. But it's also sometimes a, a massive thing that rests on your shoulders. I'm not asking for your sympathy. But I'm just saying that our platforms are different. Your platform, my platform may differ. But God has all called us to be uh, movers and shakers in his kingdom. So we're going to keep on challenging one another about this. You are not allowed. You are not allowed. I'm going to repeat it again. You are not allowed. Did you get that? You are not allowed just to sit back in the kingdom of God and let observe what others are doing. You have a role to play, my friend. And God has positioned you with something unique in you something significant in you, which is His Spirit, to make that difference. And why we get together on a Sunday is to take some time out from our busy schedules and to come and be re-inspired so that we can go and make the difference wherever we're from. Your platform is going to be tomorrow when you get to wherever it may be, or even this afternoon. Your platform is your family, where you've got to go in and make a difference and reach out to people. I plead you in the name of Jesus. Don't become content with what you're doing right now. This is fine. This is a moment where somebody's up here and speaking. There's a moment where you can sit. That's fine. But my plea is don't remain like this every day of your life. Is that okay? I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you in Jesus' name through what the Scripture teaches us, that the way you live is going to be living from a platform to make a difference in this world. And the world needs you. You cannot go back to school or to business or to work or to wherever you're from or to your home and just go and sit like you're doing right now and have a great cup of coffee. You're called to make a difference. You want to chew on that a bit? I'm going to have a drink of water. All right. Chew, my friend, chew. We're going to have a lot of that as we're handing out to one another still in the future. And the... The reality is this, whatever, whatever's keeping you from getting to the platform where God wants to use you, I challenge you to get rid of that. If it's a mindset that you have, if it's a past that you live with that restricts you, if it's a future that you're afraid of, then get rid of it and let the mindset of what the Bible teaches us come and fill you and control you and inspire you. That's why the Word of God is absolutely crucial for us. So Jesus, I thank you that this morning we can be together to consider the life that you've called us to live, whatever that platform is, O oh God, 
We want to be available. We don't want to have excuses. We don't want to just say, Lord, use my brother or my sister or my so-and-so, but Lord, use me. And this morning as we dive into your word again, I thank you that each one of us, Lord God, have been called to function from the platform that you have for us. And that platform can be a very humble context. It could just be the simplicity of our homes, which is a wonderful place that we can function from. Lord, we, we change this world by what we are at home. And if that is a platform for many of us, that's great. And Lord, if you've got other platforms, which I know you do, businesses, work environments, well, God, whatever it is, the platform of friendship that we have with people out there, I pray that you will help us to respond to this call of yours to use us there. As much as we celebrate, Lord God, these individuals that have availed themselves to serve you in the capacity of being a life group leader and debrief leaders, Lord God, I thank you that each one of us, each one of us sitting here this morning, Lord God, you've, you've got a call on our lives to function from the platform that you've created for us to, plat to, to function from. And I pray that we will see it, that we will recognize it, that we will embrace it, and that we will fulfill what you have for us in those environments. I trust for that in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 All right, so none of what I've shared is part of the sermon, so you cannot hold me to it and say, well, now you've taken up so much time. That was just for free, and so we're only starting right now. Okay, do you want to take my stuff? That's my stuff. All right. So these are simple um, booklets that I found. I've got a drawer at home where we keep um, our instruction manuals in. Some of these are from equipment that we bought for the church, like the XS Wireless Sennheiser. It's the very system that I'm using at the moment. So this is the instruction manual for that. Then we've got powered speaker systems, like these speakers that we have uh, hanging from here. This is their instruction ma uh, manual. Then we have a power amplifier. Um, it's somewhere there at the back. This is the manual de instrucciones for that. And then we have oh, the one in, um, in Russian. Zigandra vumfrinsiga kundra. You believe that? It doesn't make sense. I didn't read it. It just sounded impressive, eh? And then there's a mixing con console. It's the one that we have at the back. Um, and there's more in manuals on what we have and what we use. Now, these things, they're very helpful to us because we just leave them in a drawer. We never use them. Isn't it so? We have um, certain appliances at home, like uh, vacuum cleaners and, and, and uh, even televisions and, and whatever it is. We buy these things. And, and in this box comes this thing. Before use, read the manual. Uh-huh. How many of you have seen that instruction? How many of you have seen that? You've seen it. Before use, read the manual. Okay, how many of you have done it? <laughs> ah, Des, well done, buddy. Jeez, that's good. That's good. You confer that it has been done like that, Janelle? <laughs> Few of us, except Des, obviously, um, do take, make the effort to read the manual. There's a confirmation. Somebody's giving some feedback here. <laughs> Comes in a different way, but it's there. Point is, we have these incredible material 
that has, I can imagine how much meticulous effort has gone into explaining to us. And then people translating in, some of these manuals come with like 10 different languages, isn't it? That help you to understand. Point is, there's a certain way in which we need to operate these things. And there's an instruction manual to help us how to operate them. But there's a little bit of a snag. Sometimes we think better, isn't it? We think we know. Like, come on, how difficult is it? I can just go directly into using this thing. And we ignore using the manual. Point I'm trying to make this morning is that we do know that there's the instruction manual in life called the Bible. Uh-huh. You agree with me? I mean, if you come to a church meeting like this, most of you would probably have the background of having read the Bible a bit. Some of you may have never been exposed to reading the Bible, and that's fine. Great that you're here. Point is that most of us will probably agree that the manual for life is the Bible. It's there, all right? The reality and the challenge is this. We don't often use it as the manual for life. It's there in the drawer. It's there somewhere. And God wants to challenge us to see that everything we need is found in the Bible. Now, we have been journeying together as a church since the beginning of the year through a book called Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, we've, we've initially started looking the first couple of months. We started investigating that that the book was really written because of this guy that needed to come to a city called Jerusalem and help them rebuild the city walls. It was like about 400 years before Jesus came to earth that they came. And, um, and, and so he came just to help rebuild. His name is Nehemiah. And so the rebuilding of the wall took place. We found that as we journeyed through this book further, we got to a place where a man called Ezra one day got up and he read from the book of the law, which is the Bible version that they had at that time. And as he read it, people responded like, whoa, what is this that you are reading to us? And so certain things happened in terms of what they were experiencing at that time. They responded to the word. And so as a church, when we got to that point, which is around about June, we realized that God was talking to us about the importance of the Bible. And so we paused there for a moment we, we did a series called Imagine, where we said, wow, imagine if we start having godly thoughts that we find in the Bible about who we are and about our future, how much that will change our lives. So we did that, and out of that, we felt God challenging us out of this word, imagine the I am, I in. He challenged us with it, saying, are you in? I'm in. And so we went through a period of time where we spoke to one another and said, hey, are you in? Taking up the Bible seeing it as important, and hence from there, we did Tuesday nights where we did a little bit of a basic study of the Bible and the value of it, and now we're on a monthly journey where each month we want to take two or so, so books from the Bible and just explore it a little bit more, hence Genesis and John at the moment. During this period of time of us just looking at Nehemiah and hence the Bible, we felt that God is challenging us as a church to not just read it, spend time on it, but to apply it. Because it's one thing to read the Bible. I could read through all those manuals. <laughs> Please don't let me. But 
It's one thing to read, it's another thing to apply what you read. And so this morning, for probably for the remaining part of this year, I want to introduce you to a series called Love, Learn, and Live. Love, Learn, and Live. And the whole basis of it is the Bible. I want to just talk to you about loving the Bible. I want to talk to you about learning from the Bible. And I want to talk to you about living. And so we're really going to focus on the last four letters. That last word is living it. For us, living means I'm actually applying the Bible. It's not just head knowledge. It's not just saying I love it. It's not just saying I'm reading through it. It's doing something to my life. And so as we engage just this book again, Nehemiah, I want to show you just a couple of things, how the people in the portions that we will be looking at, which is really Nehemiah 8 to chapter 11, where they loved it, they learned about it, and they started living it. And so let me just take you to loving the word, first of all. And uh, if you're ready to go to the book of Nehemiah, why don't you just do that as we just look at a few things together regarding this wonderful concept of loving, learning, and living. So as we look at love, we find that when the wall has now been, had been part of this rebuilding process, it says in verse 1 of, um, of loving the word that they did the following. It says, And as the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate, and they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had commanded Israel. And so he brought this book. And what happened was the word was read. So loving the word, my introduce it simply to you, it starts by reading it. All right? It doesn't just start by buying one and having it on the shelf somewhere. It has to involve reading it. Very simple. We have spent a bit of time on that already. The second thing that happened here in verse 3 it says, as it was read, it says here, and he read from it facing the square before the water, just the position that he was in when he was reading, from early morning until midday. <laughs> That's a few hours, eh? In the presence of the men and the women and those who could understand. So first of all, someone's reading it. Secondly, there are people listening. They are listening. You've got to understand that in this context, they didn't have their own Bible each. So it had to be a public moment where the Bible was explored. So it had to be listened to. You have your own Bible. And by the way, if you don't have your own Bible and you need one, come and speak to us. We'd gladly help you. They had to listen. You can read and you can perceive at your own time within your own private moment where you can. It's also great that these moments where we would read it and then you listen. But you don't have to come to a moment like this only, where somebody has to read the word to you. You can listen to it in your own time, okay? They did, because they started loving the word. It's reading it, it's listening to what it's saying. It's perceiving it. The third thing it says in verse 5, listen to this, that... Um, where am I? And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And as he opened it, all the people stood. So there was a recognition of the word. And they said, wow, this word 
is powerful, we want to value it. We read it, we listen to it, we value it. That's loving the word. We see it an example here. We carry on. We see how they learned the word. And verses 7 to 8, you see how the people hung around after this moment. And the Levites, which were really kind of like the priests of the time, they, they stayed with the people and they helped to explain the word to them. So learning the word came out. That it's fine to read it, but there's a time where you want to go a bit deeper and greater understanding needs to come, isn't it? And it doesn't just happen in one second. It's a process. We see here that the men and the women hung around and they positioned themselves to learn. And you guys are doing that. When you come to these moments, you position yourself to learn. Even when you Google and go and read on Bible commentaries and, and buy a Bible study or a study Bible rather, you're positioning yourself to learn. If you go to these moments where what we've just celebrated this morning, life group moments, you're positioning yourself to learn. If you stay away from it, hey, there's no condemnation, you're missing out. You're missing out. And I know everybody's busy and children and all that stuff, but you know what? You're missing out. All agreed, I love the word. There's another time that you've got to also position yourself to learn, folks. And that positioning sometimes is a sacrifice. As much as it's some, some of you, I, I don't know your particular situation, but for some of you, it may have been a sacrifice this morning to be here. Well done. Well done. It's going to come, require of you in the future to continue sacrificing to learn. Those of you that have been to school and after school went to tertiary education, you know what a sacrifice it is to keep on studying and, and uh, you know, people that have to study at night and two o'clock in the morning or whatever. There's a sacrifice to learn. Come on. God doesn't just download his character into your system just supernaturally like that. You learn about him from the word and from these moments. So be willing to position yourself to learn. Then it says in verse 12 that they welcomed it. They, they valued it. They welcomed it into their lives. It says, and, and all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because they had understood the words that were declared to them. They welcomed it into their lives. Like, ah, it doesn't fit into my schedule. doesn't fit into my frame of thinking. This is a bit different. No, they welcomed it. So loving the word is important. Learning the word is just as important. And so I want to introduce to you really where we want to go, and that's living the word, is now the application of loving it and of learning it. Now it has to start shaping you and me. We love it. We learn about it. Now it's got to start influencing the way we live. Otherwise, we, we've got to then question, do I really love it? Does it have any authority in my life? Do I value it? Is it important to me? Am I learning? Am I, am I really digging deeper and trying to see what it means and what implications or applications there ought to be in my life? Because I cannot just say I'm a believer but my life is the opposite of what I'm saying. And the crux of the matter is this. I read Bible. I am in church. I go to Christian moments. But my lifestyle is different. 
then you're loving something, supposedly, you're learning something, but you're not living it. And there's an incredible word in the English di dictionary that says, such a person is a? Sorry? Sorry? A hypocrite. That's it. I could hear it. I was just trying to get you to say louder. It's fine. But thanks for being worried about my hearing. <laughs> Point is, we say, I love it. I learn it. Yeah, I've been to all the church meetings this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm always there, you know. I've got three Bibles in my house. It's great, my friend. Bless you. No criticism for that. The reality is, are you living it? What's happening this side? Where this, this most of the time, may I say, this is more private. Loving and learning it. Correct? This is the public side of it. So whatever you eat in private, hey, people eventually see in public. You can try to hide all the chocolates you're eating and pretend that nobody's going to see it. Boy, oh boy, they're going to eventually see it. Why? You know why. <laughs> so you try to hide and say, well, this is a public thing for me. My Christian walk with God is a, is a private thing rather. No, no, it's not a private thing. It starts in private it eventually has to flow over into a public manifestation of who you say you are. And if it's any different than what you're supposedly engaging yourself with there, then we are hypocrites. Then I say one thing, but I act in another way. And it is time that the church, the church of Jesus Christ lives according to what we're loving and we're learning and we're studying and manifest the reality of Christ in the way we live. So let me just take you through a, a couple of examples of how they lived the word. It says here they thank God. Chapters 8, verse 13 to 17. It's a wonderful feast that they needed to celebrate, and it was part of their Jewish um, tradition that during the time when they were trekking through the, the desert, they, they made booths to sleep in. And after they had eventually got to the promised land, they had to feast a booth for tents. And they'd forsaken that for many years. But what they really were doing when they would do this feast is to remember how faithful God was when he looked after them during those 40 years and how he preserved them to be a nation then. So they were really saying, God, for those years that you looked after us, we're thankful by keeping this feast. First thing they do, when the word is read, when the word is understood, when the word is valued, they like, God, we're thankful. An application of living the word is thankfulness, my friends. When we live in Zimbabwe and all we hear from loving the word and learning the word is murmuring, then something is wrong. Do you believe me and agree with me? We cannot say, well, in our private moments, this is what I'm engaging myself in. So thankful for what I can learn here. Oh, my Goodness, as I mess this world. There's nothing good in this life that I've got to wake up every day. Tomorrow is Monday again. Another week starting, and I'm not looking forward to it. Something is wrong. The impact of the word in my life has to lead me to a place of thankfulness before God. Where I say, God, I, I don't understand this stuff, but I'm thankful for what I have. Think of 
two things quickly. Just two things that you're thankful for. Just two things. Just think of them. I hope they come up. You don't have to share it with me. But just two things. So those two things that you're thankful for, when last have you expressed your thankfulness to God for those two things that just come up in your mind? Because who do you have to thank for them? It really is God, isn't it? Just a simple test. When last did I thank God for just those two things that you just mentioned in your heart? And even right now as you sit there, why don't you just thank Him for it if you haven't done it for a while? The people, they applied the word by thanking God. Now the next thing, whoa, it goes into some areas where they see this the standard of living, they start reading the word, they start thanking God for his faithfulness, and they recognize, but they have kind of not been aligning their lives with the word. And so they recognize that they're out of sync. And so they quick to repent. In verses chapter 9 now, we read further where it says, how they responded and confessed their sins. And it says in verse 3, And they stood up in their place and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day. How long is a quarter of the day, somebody? Eight hours? Six hours? Six hours, thank you. You do do the books for the church, so it, you should be able to have that information. <laughs> Thanks, Vanya. Um, six hours they stood doing what? Reading. And for another quarter of the day, so for six hours they were reading it. And for another quarter of the day, they made confession and worshipped the Lord their God. All right. I think we should start having meetings like that on a Sunday. How's that for our change, eh? Some of you said to me this, be, this week, Chip, this our services are a bit short. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right, let's then, you know, go wild. From next Sunday, 6 to 12, we'll start just, you know, reading the Bible. And then from 12 to 6, we'll start confessing. <laughs> and if you need to go longer, like some of you want to perhaps go after 12 or 6 in the evening to confess more, then they will be, we'll leave you to this and you can carry on. Now, it's just an amazing thing. There was an attitude immediately of, I see the truth. I love the truth, I read the Bible. I learn about the truth. And I apply the truth. And where the truth has to make adjustments to my life, I say, here I am. I let it adjust who I am and the way I live. I'm not just going to say, oh, I love the Bible. It's such a great book to read. And ooh, oh, there's some stuff here that's a little bit challenging. I don't know if I want to adjust it. Oh, I love this part that says, you know, you've got to just gather together and, and have a feast and just eat food. I love that portion. But where it says I've got to be pure before God and have pure thoughts and, and not think of another woman besides my wife, my own wife, and, and, and adultery is not part of the way that I should live, and, and fornication and sex before marriage and all that stuff, this becomes a little bit uncomfortable. So I love the truth that I like. The other truths I'll reconsider. so I start living a life here where I choose what is preferable to me and to the way I want to live 
and the truth is adjusted so that I can stay comfortable. But when I take the truth, and this is what I trust for all of us, myself included, that we don't walk it down the truth, we don't amend it, we don't change it to fit our preferred lifestyle, then I say, God, your truth determines my life, the way I live. Not the way I want to live, but the way that you want me to live. And so they were willing, quick to repent. Because they said, I love God, I love his word, therefore I will obey him. And by the way, love, in the biblical terms, is measured by what? How is love measured according to the Bible? Jesus said, if you love me, so love is measured by? So love the word is measured by? Obeying the word. How many of you love the word? <laughs> All right. You don't have to raise the next hand. You know what it is. How's your obedience to the word? Love, learn, and live. Live, my friends, is really where we express ourselves fully as believers. That's the public side of our lives. Well, the way you live reflects what you love and what you learn. If you're living a life where you just have all the freedom that you want, you can do whatever you want, I want to suggest that you're loving something different than the truth from the Word of God. Because the Word of God says you've got to love His truth so that your life can be adjusted to His truth. And the truth is not a binding truth. It's the greatest freedom that comes. You think you're free when you live away from the truth of God. You're in greater bondage than you ever thought you were. There's freedom when I live according to that truth. I'm so thankful for one wife and for one marriage of almost 30 years, and I'm not boasting about that. In two months' time almost, three months' time in December. So me and I would be married for 30 years. And I'm not in any way judging anybody who has failed in marriage through divorce and that. I'm just saying to you, I am so thankful that I can be free. I don't have to run after another woman. I'm not interested in that. I'm satisfied and fulfilled in my marriage with one woman for almost 30 years. There's great freedom in that liberty that God gives us to walk according to His truth and to live according to that. I'm so thankful for that. So when God brings us into the truth, it is not to constrain us and to make us like robots. It is to make us free from the bondage of sin. We think when we avoid truth and we live in this, this free world where I can sin and do whatever I want, you're in bondage because that's what sin does to you. Sin comes and puts bondage in your life and you are a subject to sin. You become a servant of the devil and you serve him. The greatest freedom comes when we serve our King, Jesus Christ. And so we cannot just say, I love him, but I live here in sin. Because then I'm actually, I'm a hypocrite. And I'm saying, God, I love you, but I do my own thing. They were willing to repent. They restored worship that said in that, that same verse, 
where they actually, the word worship there in the Hebrew means to bow down. So they're really just, I bow down. And I admit that He is God and that His ways are the preferred way, are the best way. And so worship is not, as you've often said, it's not music. Worship is a lifestyle. And when we come and we try to use music to, to help you and to stir you to connect to God, what we're actually trying to do is help you to bow down before God in your heart. We don't necessarily bow here. Bowing is not an action first, but an attitude. We can all force you to bow. I can ask you now to bow down. You're like, oh, you know how sore my knees are, you know. But in your heart, you're like, oh, such a silly move. But when God says to you, worship me, what do you do? What do you do? That's where living the word comes in. We hasten on. They say in verses 6 of chapter 9, they talk about this glorious name of God, which is exalted above all blessing and praise. They say in verse 6, you are the Lord, you alone, you have made heaven, the heaven of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is in it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve it, all of them. You are the host of heaven, all of the hosts of heaven rather worship you. So there's an acknowledging that God is God. When the, the truth is read, when the truth is learned and studied, then the application of that is acknowledging that He is God and that I am just a mere human being and all I want to do is live for Him. I want to acknowledge Him in all my ways. I don't want to have a part that's for God and a part that's for myself and a, a part that's for my business and a part that's there. I want God to be involved in everything that I do because He is God. And besides, I cannot hide anything from Him. He is my God. Then we see in the whole of chapter 10, they made promises to God. They made a covenant. It's like a, a contract, but a contract that involves their lives. Not just something that they signed, something that they gave themselves to. And so chapter 10 is full of that, where they were prepared. Say, God, I'm willing to make a covenant and a promise to you. And I love this in verse 28. Why don't you just go there with me? Chapter 10 and verse 28. And the context is the people who sealed this covenant with God and the people's names are mentioned. And, and great detail is given to this. And then verse 28, it says, The rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the people of the lands to the Lord of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all who have knowledge and understanding, they made this covenant with God. So there's no discrimination about age or gender against that. It's all who had understanding and knowledge of what they were about to do. And by the way, when we take communion later on, it is open for all who have understanding and knowledge in the sense of Jesus, what He's done for you, and that personal relationship that you have for you with Him. And baptism is the same. It's not when you get to a certain age or when you get to a certain level of 
of, of Christian growth. It is if you have an understanding and a knowledge of what it's all about. You can be five years old and you can be baptized because it's a personal expression of your faith in Jesus. I love that. And so they made promises. They made a host of promises there, which we can't go into in detail. They promised to um, not intermarry with non-Jews. They promised to keep the Sabbath. They promised to, to um, every seventh year to preserve the land and let it lie unused. They, they promised to, to release every seventh year to all their debts owed to them. They will promise to release those people. Um, they promised to pay a third um, per year to the temple of their income. They promised to maintain the temple by presenting uh, to it wood, first fruits, and net tithe. So they, they made concrete, specific promises. They loved the word. They learned the word. And they lived it by saying, God, I promise to you the following. I commit myself. It's a big word that, that we love to use, isn't it? Are you committed? Are you ready to commit? And often a word that we do not like to use because I'm not always interested in a commitment. That's why we live in a world where men would rather just go around and sleep randomly like they want because they don't want to commit to a specific spouse or a person. That's rubbish. We cannot live like that. We've got to love and learn and apply it by being committed to one woman, to one husband in a covenant relationship called marriage. We've got to commit ourselves, folks, to just what God has called us to. We see here that they could do that. And they promised. For us as a church, what does that mean? We're not saying, by the way, they said no intermarriage with non-Jews. For us, we believe in the simple principle. You can marry whoever you want to. Obviously, if they love you too, and you love them. But we don't believe in, in national or tribal or racial boundaries when it comes to marriage. We believe in faith boundaries. That if you can marry someone who carries the same faith as, as you do, faith in Jesus Christ is the first requirement. Because it becomes very difficult if that's not in place. And I know some of you here and people in the church have marriages where they connected to someone who's not of the same faith and not, does not share the passion for Jesus that you may have. And God's grace is there to help you because Paul even talks about that, how our hearts and our passion for Jesus can influence the passion or the, the heart of our, our spouse who is not a believer. But it is ideal that we marry within our faith, not within our church. <laughs> Are there some people that would go that far? No, it's within the faith of being a Christian and a believer. It's just helpful. It's just more helpful. What they say there about keeping the Sabbath, it's not a promise that, 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 that God expects of us to every Sunday. No, God expects of us to consider the reality of rest. And what rest actually means is this. I am dependent upon God. I cannot work 24-7. I have to rest. For my own sanity, for my own safety, for my own health, for the health of the people around me, I need to rest. And so when we read these things in the Old Testament, it was because they had to. And some believers, some people believe today that if you don't keep the Sabbath, you're not saved. I, we don't believe that. Sabbath does not save us. Jesus does. 
But because I am saved, I want to keep the Sabbath and rest. And your Sabbath may be different. My Sabbath, a Sunday, I do not rest on a Sunday. We take Mondays for ourselves where we just try not to answer the phone, try just to be time by ourselves. And it's not always possible. And I'm not complaining when it's not possible. I just recognize that I'm a human being and I have to rest. I need to take time out to consider just where I am with God, where I am with Samin, where I am with my boys, where I am just in my life. And unless we do that, we're going to kill ourselves physically. So rest is important. Then it talks about the things of giving. They committed themselves. They said, for our God, we promise that we will give this and we will pay off debt or we will not expect debt. I think the principle for me is when people owe you debt, don't be harsh on them. Be, be kind, be soft. They were very, very specific about what they ought to pay to the temple. We believe in the principle of giving. A New Testament belief for us as a church is that we have been called to live a life sacrificially. And I know that in the Old Testament, there's a specific reference called the tithe. It's not necessarily repeated in the New Testament, but the principle of giving is. And as a church, this can only function because of generosity of people giving. And when God challenges us to love the word, to learn the word, one of the applications of living the word is giving. I give. Many of you may not know that, but sometimes they think the pastors in the Old Testament, the Levites also gave, the people that ran the temple. We all are under the same expectation from heaven to live generously. And I ask of you to live generously, to give. A specific thing that I want to ask you to consider is over the last couple of weeks, we've been seeing, and you would have noticed it, that Zesa is not doing so great at, at the moment in in, in, in Beloa. And we need to buy a generator. We've already prepared the system so that we can have an, a turnover switch there that we can just bring a generator and connect it and boom, everything can run. We've had now this past Friday, we had an issue with Zesa. Last week, Tuesday, when we did our Bible training, we had an issue with Zesa. The previous Friday with debrief on a Friday night, we had another issue with Zesa. It's just becoming a bit erratic. And we want to present a moment on a Sunday and on a Friday and during the week where we can love, learn, and apply the word. And we need the simple thing called Zesa around. And if it's not there, we need a backup. So I want to ask you, to, on besides your normal giving to the church, that you will consider giving, making an amount available. Put it in an envelope and say, this is for the generator. We, we need to buy one. And I'm not pleading you. I'm just saying, guys, this is where we are. If you have a generator standing at home and you want to donate it, bless you, do that. The other thing that I want to mention, and it's so good, Yanku's not here. Yanku's in Canada. Yanku's one of the elders on this team. And Yanku will soon return with his wife that you most of you know about. One of the realities that we as a church will face is that we're in the process of getting all of his paperwork in place that he can be fully employed here in this nation. We've applied for it, and, and it seems like it's, it's in good um, process that it will be approved by immigration. But we need to then, when he comes and lives here with the wife, we need to get him onto a salary system, which means that we, there will be more overheads for this church so that we can serve this community. 
and so that we can serve the young people in a good and honorable way. And it does require dollars and cents. And so I'm just asking you to partner with us in what God is busy doing through us. There's more. We, we're so excited about what God is busy doing at King City Church, but it requires a people that participate in what he's doing. We don't often ask you these things, but I'm just sharing it with you from, from my perspective of what we have to look at and the realities that we face. So wherever you can partner in that, we'd love to ask you to do that. Then lastly, one final result of living according to the word is found in chapter 11. And I want to read it to you in closing. It says, now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem and the rest of the people cast lots to bring out of 10 to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of 10 remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. I want to say to you, we can love the word. We learn the word. We're going to live the word. But one of the practical outcomes of living the word is to live sacrificially. And what do I mean by that? It's just to say, God, my life here on earth is not about myself. It cannot be. Here they had people that said, okay, guys, we need to populate the city again. We need to have people move into the city. All of us were lovely scattered out there in the Metopas, and, and it was just great. We had our own little thing going there. But you know what? God wants to do something in Jerusalem, and we need one out of every ten person to come and live in the city. And it says here, and they blessed all the men who willingly, say with me, willingly, willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. There were people that said, okay, I love what we're reading. I love what we're learning. I'll be willing to, um, to make a move and do a practical thing and move into the city so that God can use me. I want to close by asking you, together, you don't have to move anywhere. That's not what I'm asking you. I think the scripture is very clear that God positions us where he wants us to be. But you know what? We can live in a certain place and be centered towards ourselves and live a very self-centered and a very selfish life. God calls on us to live sacrificially. For some of you, it may be that God says, well, you know what? I want to move you from this place there because I want to use your life there. No, 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 no. I prefer it here. Maybe God is talking to you about moving work or moving whatever it may be because he wants to use you there, not because you're discontent there, but he wants us to live sacrificially, people. And I ask of you, part of loving, learning the word would require for some of us to live perhaps with a different mindset in the context where we are. God had moved you perhaps into that context and you're unhappy. God's challenging us to live sacrificially right where we are. You don't have to move anywhere. You hear me? Just wherever you are, whatever you're doing, let's live sacrificially before our God. So as we prepare for the table, which is I think so appropriate that we finish this way this morning. We're going to meet around the table of the Lord, which is not a special place. It's just 
a symbolic reference to what Jesus had done on the cross for us. Jesus came to live in a very, very different way. And what we drink and what we eat of is recognizing how he came to live. He came to live sacrificially by giving of himself. When we partake of these elements, it can never be a ritual. It has to be from knowledge and understanding of what Jesus has done for me and my preparedness to live the same. So loving the word, learning the word is challenged right now when we have communion by the attitude that we have when we meet around the table. And as I said, it's open for all of you who have a testimony that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. Knowledge and understanding. But you have to go with the right attitude. The attitude is, Jesus, how you lived by the body that was broken and the blood that flowed for me, I want to live a similar life. And Celine, can I ask you to come and pray for us? Just as we, just as we prepare our hearts for this moment. thank you for forgiving us. We thank you for <coughs> saving us. We thank you for lavishing your love upon us and adopting us, making us your children and giving us your righteousness. You've done so much for us. But I thank you that we're not only called just to, to know you and to love you, but we're called to partner with you. And I thank you that your word says that the just shall live by faith and that we shall know the truth and the truth will make us free. So I thank you that you've called us to be your representatives in this world. Help us, Lord, to have that, that joy and that salt, that passion for you. Help us to go out into the world, Lord, and be your light in this dark and negative and crazy world that we're living in. And I just thank you. Thank you that your Holy Spirit is with us. We're sealed. We're never alone. Lord, I ask for just boldness, that we'd be able to go out and just share what a wonderful God you are. I thank you, Jesus, that, that you are the one that empowers us, that gives us the grace. And I pray that you just would be reflected in, in our lives. And even as we face challenges during the week, Heavenly Father, I just pray that we would stop for a moment and we would just think, how would Jesus react to this? And that we would begin to use our faith more vibrantly in every single area of our lives. I ask us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much. You're welcome to um, come and meet around. Thank you.